This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, helping you unlock money you didn't know you had. Members-only discounts that can save you tons. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross for Libby Snymer. The largest archdiocese in Canada's Catholic Church has a new leader at the altar. We speak with Toronto's new archbishop. And Canadian caregivers were honoured this week for their selfless and unpaid work. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. In a landmark ruling, Johnson & Johnson has agreed to pay almost $9 billion to settle claims that its talc products caused cancer. The proposed settlement requires approval by a bankruptcy court, but has the backing of plaintiff's lawyers. If approved, the agreement will resolve all current and future claims involving Johnson & Johnson products that contain talc such as baby powder. The settlement is being called a significant victory in a legal fight that has lasted more than a decade. The money will be paid out over 25 years. In total, there were 70,000 plaintiffs, including families of people who died of ovarian cancer and mesothelioma. Italy's government plans to fine people for speaking English. Under newly introduced legislation, Italians who use English or other foreign words in official communications could be fined up to $109,000. The draft bill states that English words demean the Italian language. While it has yet to go up for parliamentary debate... The bill requires anyone who holds an office in public administration to have written and oral knowledge and mastery of the Italian language. The bill was introduced by Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney's Brothers of Italy party. Just weeks after new guidelines recommended no more than two drinks per week comes yet another study that says a glass of wine or beer a day is fine for your health. The Canadian study finds a daily alcoholic drink is not likely to send anyone to an early grave, nor will it offer any of the health benefits touted by previous studies. Researchers from the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research do caution that while increased risk is evident at higher consumption levels, it is way worse for women than men. Women who enjoy more than one drink per day are at least 20% likely to die prematurely than female non-drinkers. Hollywood icon Sir Michael Caine has received a special presentation of his combat medals for fighting on the front line in the Korean War. The box containing the medals he won 71 years ago was a surprise 90th birthday present given to the star by his wife last month. Lady Shakira contacted Caine's former regiment and asked for help with ideas to celebrate the film star's landmark birthday. In return, Kane's 76-year-old wife made a donation to charity and sent the association a photo of their most famous member. Sir Michael was just 19 when he was called up to do his national service in 1952, and within a few months, he was sent to Korea. Saw the Northern Lights, took a husky sleigh ride. We were in Zanzibar. We went to Egypt, India, Nepal, Bali. Emily Hamby and Sandy Hazlip are back in Texas 
80 days after they departed to visit all seven continents of the world. The friends came up with the idea of traveling around the world in 80 days on their 80th birthdays. Due to the pandemic, the trip didn't actually happen until the friends of 23 years turned 81. The traveling grannies documented their amazing trip online to inspire future generations to prove that you're never too old to take in all the world has to offer. I'm Christine Ross, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Given that I'm 51 years old and that bishops normally retire at the age of 75, we've got about a quarter of a century to get to know each other and to fall in love. It's the holiest time of the year for many religions, and this year, Ramadan, Passover, and Easter converge for the first time in 30 years. In Toronto at St. Michael's Cathedral Basilica, there will be a new face at the altar, guiding the Catholic congregation through Easter service. 51-year-old Archbishop Francis Leo was installed last month, weeks after Pope Francis formally named him to the post, replacing Cardinal Thomas Collins, who stepped down on his 75th birthday. We caught up with Archbishop Francis Leo during Holy Week to learn about his role leading Toronto's Catholic community. Your Grace, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Well, first of all, congratulations on your installation. You've been in your new role about a couple of weeks now. How's it going? It's going well. It's going really well so far. This is uh, the holiest time of year for several religions, and, and this year, Ramadan, Passover, and Easter converge for the first time in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Now, it's also your first Easter as Toronto's Archbishop, without giving away your homily. What is your, what is your message this year? Well, my message is, um, let's focus on what makes this season, this week, absolutely wonderful, and that's love. The unconditional, selfless love of God for us that uh, is made um, tangible through Christ and His ultimate sacrifice for us. As men and women of faith, what that faith gives us, so it gives us life, it gives us uh, hope, it gives us meaning, it gives us the possibility of new beginnings. And so for me, it's, um, it's, it's looking at our life and, and seeing it in the light of faith and having that faith enlighten it and give us new possibilities. The Catholic Church is, of course, known for its justice and peace initiatives. We're, we're living right now in some challenging times with high inflation, lack of affordable housing. And just this week, we're learning that Toronto's Daily Food Bank is dealing with record numbers of people. So what type of outreach would you like to accomplish while here in Toronto? Well, I'm still learning and getting to know people and communities and the agencies, but I definitely uh, would like to build bridges with uh, the different institutions and the different groups and organizations that that are around. Already, the Archdiocese does many wonderful things, many wonderful services for the homeless, for the sick, and education, and in other realms. So getting to know that, uh, I'm excited about that because I think it's life-giving. It makes a difference in people's lives. Contribute to it, build bridges, and connections. For me, that's very important. What, so what we're already doing through our own agencies and how we can partner with other faith groups as well um, and bringing as much um, benefit to uh, to the people of our city. When you were installed, there were people commenting on your youth and that your young age will help bring stability to your role. Do you, do you see that? I do. I do. I'm in here for the long haul. And uh, I really feel 
a, a, a covenantal strong bond with the diocese. Been appointed here for the Pope by the Pope, and um, and so I I, I I I hope to bring vitality. I hope to bring um, a fresh new vision. I hope to bring uh, strength, um, hope, um, and uh, to build bridges with people for sure. Your journey to get to this role, now you were born in Montreal, um, can you tell us a little bit about where you served prior to coming to Toronto, the Coles Notes version? Certainly. So, um, yeah, I'm born in Montreal, and uh, my first years was in a parish, parish community, where, you know, you, the whole gamut of uh, ministry with the young people and the elderly, with schools, um, and with different uh, uh, social groups in in our in our community. And then um, I studied in the States, and then I got recruited for the Vatican Diplomatic Service, and I did that for a number of years uh, as a diplomat serving in the embassies across the world. Came back, did formation work in the seminary, teaching and uh, accompanying the fellows and um, wanting to become priests and teaching theology to, to just anybody uh, that wanted to learn. And then uh, Ottawa uh, for six years at the uh, as a general secretary of the bishops' conference, so that's uh, the head office of all uh, the bishops of Canada. And then uh, and then back to Montreal now here. So it's been diverse and uh, wonderful experiences at different levels of uh, of church and society, and I uh, I loved every every one of them. Those days were very different, and I think I learned uh, a lot. Um, from each of these experiences and these ministries. The numbers of Catholics attending Mass ha- has been declining. How, how will you reach out to people to invite them back? I will work with the network that's already in place <clears throat> with the communities that are there. I'm going to see what we can do forging new alliances with uh, with different groups that we haven't uh, partnered with yet. Uh, what we can do to um, reach them through our social communications. Uh, and then boosting up and enhancing what's already being done in education, in social services, and then with other groups that uh, that perhaps we haven't uh, dealt with uh, yet. Now, my final question, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about hockey, because during your installation, you did make a comment about being a lifelong Habs fan, of course, being born in Montreal. Is there any love in your heart for the Leafs? Certainly, it, there's, and it's growing, I must say. My allegiance to, to the Habs, very important, but as I'm living here and I've my commitment to serve the people in Toronto, how can I not also have in my heart a, a very dear place for the, for the Maple Leafs? And it's growing, I have to admit, mm-hmm. yeah. Your Grace, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for this and congratulations on your installation. Thank you, Christine. It's been a pleasure. All the best to you. That was Toronto's new Archbishop, Francis Leo. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, Canada's caregivers are in crisis and at a breaking point. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members-only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca. The data is overwhelming. One in four Canadians is a caregiver for a vulnerable loved one. They've been called the unseen backbone of the healthcare system, and many are in crisis and at the breaking point because most hold down full-time work as well. 
Tuesday marked National Caregiver Day to honor those who play an essential role to provide critical support for those in need. We reached Amy Kupal, CEO of the Ontario Caregiver Organization. Caregivers are in a crisis and at the breaking point. Let's look at the numbers. How many Canadians have no choice but to serve as a caregiver for a vulnerable family member? So I can certainly speak to uh, the province of Ontario, where we have 4 million caregivers who are supporting a family member, friend, or neighbour with a physical or emotional need. We've been hearing a lot in the news about the crumbling health care system, but rarely do we hear about caregivers who have been called the unseen backbone of the health care system. What will it take for their role to be kind of identified as a tandem piece within the health care system? You know, I, I love this expression of caregivers being the unseen backbone. In fact, what we know is that caregivers provide 75% of the health care that happens uh, in any broader context. So that's a significant portion of the care that is helping people to make it in between doctor's appointments, treatments, uh, return to health or live with chronic illnesses. So caregivers play such a vitally important role in our families and in our communities. What we're seeing now is that there's increased attention being placed on caregivers and, and their role. And we hope that that conversation will continue to recognize that caregivers really are essential partners in care with the people that they provide that care to and with the healthcare system. Yeah, you talk about uh, advocacy, um, including the Zoomer group CARP, A New Vision of Aging, have long been advocating for change, whether it's financial support, respite care for caregivers. But what else will it take? We've been talking about this for a few years now. You know, we certainly are seeing that these conversations are evolving. Uh, interesting that you bring up respite because this is one of the areas that we hear from caregivers as a key priority for them, the opportunity to take a break, to balance caregiving with all of their other responsibilities in their life, including work, other family or community commitments. So we'd like to see that these conversations continue, that they accelerate, and that they really involve recognizing the role of the caregiver, having caregivers identified in all of the healthcare settings uh, that they engage with. So that's hospitals, perhaps long-term care, certainly primary care, uh, home home care and community support services, and that they are engaged as a part of the healthcare team, and then also connected with the supports that they need as caregivers, which of course includes our organization, the Ontario Caregiver Organization. Just in in researching this interview, and just to highlight the importance of caregivers, I read that if all caregivers took a week off, every Canadian would experience the collapse of our healthcare systems before noon on the very first day. Does that resonate with you? It does resonate with me because we know that caregivers are the day-to-day support system for individuals with such a significant range of, of needs and conditions that they may be working through. And caregivers are doing everything from the activities of daily living to sometimes medication management, medical procedures. Every caregiving circumstance is unique, but many, many people rely on caregivers, and we see that with the growing numbers of caregivers that are represented certainly in Ontario and across the country as well. And in fact, many of these caregivers are still working full-time jobs. More than half of caregivers are working full-time, and that means that they're balancing work and care. 
We also know that the largest demographic of caregivers is part of the sandwich generation. So that's like me, where I have school-aged children and I have a father who's an older adult who has his own health needs that I work through with him and I'm his primary caregiver. So I balance, as many caregivers do, work, my family at home, and my broader family, which includes my my dad and my caregiving responsibilities with him. Are you saying that the age of caregivers is starting to skew younger now? And why is that, if so? Well, I I would say that we know that the largest proportion of caregivers includes the sandwich generation and that we know that caregiving can happen at any age and stage of life. So we have young caregivers who may be taking on roles and responsibilities with siblings, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. And then we also have people caring for individuals uh, like a spouse or, or someone else with their chosen or extended family. And then we also see that as our demographics are shifting, that there are many people caring for parents, in-laws, and other individuals in their community that they may be connected with. So, you know, caregiving is something that can arrive in people's lives unexpectedly. It can also be something that, you know, they might have known they would have to do at some point, and then all of a sudden they realize the time is now. And and that's why connecting people with supports is so important. At OCO, we have resources like the I Am a Caregiver booklet, which people can access on our website at ontariocaregiver.ca. That helps people to look into a little bit further, what are they doing as a caregiver? How can they balance those responsibilities? And what supports might they need? You talk to caregivers. What what do you hear that is most impacting them? Is it the financial burden or the mental burden? Well, it's a great question, and I would say it's definitely a combination of both. What we saw in our Spotlight report uh, most recently last year is that caregivers are paying more and more out of pocket. So we need to pay attention to this. This could be anything from home care, medical supplies, or even the cost of living of the individual that they care for. So the financial burdens are growing and can be very significant in the lives of some caregivers. But that other piece that you talked about in terms of the mental burden is something that we need to pay attention to. We also see an increasing number year over year of caregivers who say they reached their breaking point, but they knew that they had no choice but to keep going. And that certainly grabs our attention because We have caregivers who feel burnt out, stressed, isolated, overwhelmed, and these are folks who really need support themselves. And so for an organization like ours, that means peer support, that means information and resources, coaching, counseling, and things like our 24-7 helpline that people can call to get information that may help them in their caregiving role and may help them as a caregiver themselves. Amy Kupel, thank you so much for this. Thank you for having me. That was Amy Kupel, CEO of the Ontario Caregiver Organization. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Christine Ross for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.